It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Lori Richardson. Actually, she's back for the third appearance. Lori is mm-hmm. founder and CEO. Yeah, I hear you cheering in the background there. Founder and CEO of Score More Sales. Lori is also president of Women Sales Pros. And we're going to talk some about women in sales today. Lori, welcome back to Accelerate. Andy, it's a pleasure to be here. So three times. Wow, that's so exciting to have you back three yeah. times. I'm excited. So I urge people to go back and listen to previous episodes. So you're on episode 19, where we talked about the topic of why there aren't more women in sales, which we're going to touch on some today as well. And uh, episode 71, which was about if you want to accelerate your sales, hire more women sales reps. So <laughs> with that... seemed to be a theme here. <laughs> there's a theme. I think we're going to continue that theme. So, but maybe just for people that I can't believe they didn't listen to one of those two previous episodes, maybe introduce yourself a little bit. I'm Lori Richardson, and my, my company, Score More Sales, helps uh, mid-sized companies to solve sales issues. So I don't just work with women. In fact, I've mostly worked with men. You know, most most of the sales leaders and company leaders I've worked with over the years uh, are in technology and manufacturing distribution. And, and so that's what we do most of the time. But I got a little sidetracked and I had this this thing that just kept following me. And it's the fact that there are not a lot of women in sales and sales leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I've been working on that as kind of a pet project and turning it into speeches and now a book. Um, so it's part of what we do. Uh, but it all ties into the fact that, um, you know, lack of diversity or inclusion, you know, that's a, it's a leadership issue. So it all ties back to sales leadership. Okay. So let's sort of harken back to, gosh, it's been just about a year almost since we last spoke about this. So yeah. on, on the show, at least, we know we've talked before, but um, you know, what's new in terms of the state of women in sales? I mean, what's, what's happened <laughs> over the last year since we last spoke? Has there been any developments uh, that have been noteworthy or any new research that's come out that uh, we should be talking about? I think... I have to rack my brain a little bit. I would say generally not a whole lot has happened. However, I have been working to study and and understand more within the the B2B landscape. And I I personally did a lot of stuff. I I put some panels together uh, for Salesforce as well as the AAISP, we talked a lot about women in sales. And I met a lot of CEOs who said, you know, we really want more women on our team. We're having trouble finding them. And so we we talked about some real tactical, actionable things that they could do. And I think those are the things that, you know, people have been adopting or some more hands-on ideas and, and less Let's just come, you know, talk about it and actually do stuff. So that's what I'm seeing some of that, but as you know, as a whole, we have a long way to go. Okay, well let's let's talk about some of the specific tactics that you said you'd recommended to people. And I mean, your goal, your stated goal, 
is you're trying to narrow this this gap between how companies in a variety of industries say they can't hire enough good sales reps, but on the other hand, there's this huge shortage of women sales professionals. Right. And is, so is the issue that seems like, is it that women, well, let me ask the question, is the issue that women can't get hired into those roles or just aren't enough women to fill the available roles or both? Well, there are a lot of women out there. In fact, we know that more than 50% of college graduates are women. So there are women mm-hmm. out there. Um, what there, it's a more complex issue than a simple answer. It would be easy to say, well, you know, the women just don't want the jobs. I believe that, and this is something I witnessed um, in the, the last year working with some of the panels and talking to a lot of the women leaders is that I don't think a lot of young women know what a B2B sales position really is about. And, and I think that sales has a negative connotation to a lot of people, not just women, people in general, a lot of young people. And I also think that many companies have made some mistakes, uh, either, you know, unintentionally. I don't think they're intentional. Um, so I don't mean both ways, but I think un- unintentionally. Uh, some of the the atmosphere and and some of the hiring strategies are not conducive to bringing women on. Okay, well, let's sort of break that down just a little bit. So you talk about first of all, it's that women graduating from college, either sales isn't on their radar or at all, or if it is, not really interested, just given sort of the general perception of sales that exists. Right. So how do we how do we combat that? Well, I think what I'm doing is going to colleges and universities and speaking to young women about the career of B2B professional selling. And when you think about all the retail jobs that are out there, you know, a lot of women do retail jobs. I did it myself. In fact, I loved working in retail. Um, but have you seen the, the Amazon store yet or have you heard about that yet? Yeah, yeah I saw the video. Yeah, how many employees work in that store? Yeah, virtually none, right? <laughs> yeah. At least none yeah, that are so, visible to the, the customer, right? Yeah, so my idea is, you know, let's let's get some of those people who are, you know, that have sales the sales DNA for a B2B career, and let's, you know, encourage them to, to look at um, a B2B sales position rather than retail. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one of my thoughts. Um, but I don't think that women that are in college, even high school, I don't think they really know what B2B sales careers are. And that was verified by a lot of the VP sales leaders that I spoke to who were women. About 75% of them had a close family member in sales or as an entrepreneur when they were young. So they saw it, they heard it, you know, they learned about it. Otherwise, people don't really know about sales. It's a real job. It's a real career. Well, I think that that you could make the same statement that most young men, again, without a family influence, probably realistically don't know what a you know, B2B sales job entails. So I guess one thing that sort of thought that sprung to mind is, gosh, there are, I think, more than 50, aren't it, sort of colleges now that are offering a, a sales degree of some sort? 
or another. Yes. I mean, it's yep. a, a number that's growing. And yep. there's some major universities in there as well as, as some yep. that, you know, state schools and so on. So question being is, I wonder in those programs, how does the enrollment break down in terms of percent male versus female enrollment? Yeah, I, I don't know the entire uh, breakdown, but I do know of certain uh, colleges and universities that have, you know, a good mix of 50-50 or 60-40. So that will definitely make an impact over time. But, you know, that's not very many. It, it's it's a start and it's a good start. Um, St. Kate's in Minneapolis, it's all women. It's an mm-hmm. all-women school and they have a sales program. I know Jill Conrath has been involved with that. Mm-hmm. Time so, yeah. So it's 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 building. It's building. But I think the difference when when you say that young men don't necessarily know about sales either. I agree with you. But a lot of companies have employees recruit their friends. You know, it's a really good source of mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. more hiring. And that's right. what that's. I think that's one of the reasons it stays very young male. Also, it's because the the young guys there hire. You know, more they tell their buddies about it, which is great. And they have this fun, you know, collegial work environment. So I, I think it all kind of comes together that way. I wonder, like the perfect storm. Yeah, perfect storm. <laughs> and I wonder if if one potential not saying this is an entire solution, but just the thought that just occurred to me is is would the field be helped by having uh, more formal certification, you know, sales. You know, there's a lot of conversation about this. And yeah, I know there are some, you know, nonprofit organizations like the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals have some, you know, basic certification. But wondered if, if there was, you know, some sort of professional certification, if that would be something that would attract more women into the job. Because thinking that maybe the certification helps level out the playing field a little bit. Yeah, I think generally that that's helpful. Uh, I know that the young women I talked to who got marketing degrees and went into marketing said they didn't think about sales because you can't get a degree in it, at least where they went. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was important to them. Um, but I also think seeing more young women and, you know, women that have been in careers for a number of years in sales, you just, you don't see a lot about it. You, it's not visible. And, and so we're working on the women's sales pros website to, to have more success stories of, you know, women in flexible sales careers and, you know, who have gone, I know a number of women who have gone from finance into sales or marketing into sales. And when you think of in in someone's lifetime, the difference in um, earnings you could make between a marketing career and a sales career, Mm -hmm. you know, huge, you're talking big money in in a career. Yeah, well, when I interview people on the show, uh, both men and women, uh, and Oftentimes, they haven't started in sales. They didn't start their career in sales. And I found the one that seemed to be the most uh, <laughs> most prevalent was education. You know, people come from being teachers. Yeah. Both men and women. Into, I was a teacher. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Into yeah. sales. And yeah. to me, it's probably the most common answer when I ask people, you know, how'd they start? Started as a teacher. Yeah. 
and then we couldn't make a living. <laughs> That's why I got into sales. Sure. Well, you live in a big city or someplace where cost of living is high. It's yeah. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to commute an hour each direction or more. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to be a teacher. So. So yeah, that is a good. That is a good good connection. Teaching to to sales for sure. Well, I'm just trying to think about recruiting techniques because you said you shared some pretty sort of common uh, strategies or new strategies with with some of the VPs you spoke with. What were some of those that you spoke about that uh, or shared that helped them? Well, a, a couple things. You know, reviewing the job descriptions, I think, is really important. The ads that are placed mm-hmm. and looking for gender neutral language, um, even you know words like competitive is more male-focused than Mm -hmm. gender-neutral. Aggressive certainly is male-focused. There there are a lot of words that you wouldn't normally think of that are perceived as male-focused. And so when there are more words like collaboration, helping, you know, working together, focusing on, you know, the end results, um, it's it's much more of interest to to women in addition to men. And that's kind of a generalization, but I've been talking to people who actually have tools that go through the data, going through, you know, millions of job descriptions, and they can determine what is male-focused and what is female-focused. There's a company called Textio, for example, that does that. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I think for people listening, when you hear that, as really you need to remember, this is not this is not some rampant political correctness, you know, <laughs> no. running running wild. This right. is how do we attract the best people, regardless of gender, to come to our company and work and sell. And right. there has been research, and we talked about this the last time you were on the show, is that showing that on average women sales reps perform at a higher level than male males their male counterparts. So if you're you know VP of sales and you're saying, gosh, I need to find people to fill these open roles, you want the best people, especially if you're self-motivated, but you want to do good for the company, you want to make money yourself, you're gonna make sure you're you're interviewing the best candidates. Yeah, and a sales team that has a mix of men and women is gonna do better because there's a diversity of opinions, a diversity of strategies. Mm-hmm. I, I give a talk where I share the, the first sales job I had where they didn't want to hire me because I was a woman. It was actually my second sales job. Um, after I did get hired, you know, I took three interviews. <laughs> it took a long time. But after I came on board, within 90 days, I had closed uh, over a million-dollar deal that my male predecessor had been trying to close for months, if not years, simply because we had different styles, same customer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I brought something different and, you know, it worked. So people need to realize that as well. And that goes with different ages, different backgrounds. You know, it's really good to have diversity of thought on your sales team. Well, and there's another reason to have diversity of thought on your sales team is you're Customers are increasingly diverse. There you go. And so, you know, long past is the day where you're, I mean, for most companies, not entirely true, but in the main, past the day where it's, you know, you're selling to one C level 
executive or business owner where there's you know, always going to be multiple people increasingly these days involved in decision making from diverse backgrounds, whether it's diverse genders or ethnic backgrounds, economic backgrounds, whatever, you sort of want to be, be in a position to be able to deal with those that diversity on your end as well. Right. And just think about that. The next conference you go to where it's almost all male speakers up front. Because I went to one about a month ago. Can you tell us which one? No. <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> but, all right. Yeah. Going back to the calendar, I'm looking at sales conferences back in the... Um, well, yeah. I mean, just you see it. See it all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's uh, not a discussion that's that's in danger of disappearing anytime soon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it seems hard to believe that, you know, here we are, you know, 2017, that, that this still becomes an issue in terms of sort of not just the unconscious bias, as you talked about with job descriptions and so on, but conscious bias against women and bringing them into customer facing positions. Right. There are companies really making an effort too. So I don't want to minimize that. So, you know, kudos to them, Salesforce and Microsoft and mm-hmm. others. Big, you know, diversity efforts going on, inclusion programs. And I get calls from heads of um, HR asking me if I know any women candidates who, who are chief revenue officers. So oh, I, think, I would think in women sales pros, there certainly are. Yeah, I I definitely have names to give them. Yeah, absolutely. So but we, not a lot. Well, right. So let's talk a little bit about women sales pros because we just touched on the beginning. But again, for people who didn't hear previous shows, describe what it is and uh, the organization and what the mission is and what you're trying to accomplish. It, it's it's a group uh, started as kind of a loose group of of women sales experts. And, you know, we typically didn't get on the main stage and didn't get speaking opportunities. Um, That is not an issue anymore because there is, you know, there we we see a lot of the women in in our group and elsewhere who are speaking on main stages and being invited into companies. So that was a huge some huge progress that we've seen. Um, But it's moved to now where we're working on seeing more women in get into sales and women in sales to get into leadership and supporting them and helping to be mentors and, and some inspiration. Mm-hmm. If you will. And so do you guys have an annual conference or classes, workshops, webinars? Yeah, we have, we have an annual conference going to be in October in Boston, October 4th, actually. Um, and we also have uh, a web presence. We're going to launch a new website fairly soon and have more online community accessible. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of interesting. You had written an article not that long ago about uh, the cost of ignoring sales management issues. And you know, one of those costs is the cost of not hiring more women. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people don't think about how, how these costs all come together. But, you know, if you could increase revenues by five or 10%, why wouldn't you, you know, and, and some of these simple ideas we're talking about, um, could, could make that happen. Yeah. Well, I think part of it's just an awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
that's sort of at the root of a lot of problems in sales is, <laughs> is not just this one, is an awareness, right? Keeping thinking before yeah, I just mean, following a, a set or rigid process or rigid mindset that you might have is, yeah, take a minute and think about what's the next best step. Yeah, and, and for leaders to think about their sales environment, you know, is it like a fraternity or is it like a professional work environment? And, you know, those are the kinds of things when a, a woman comes in to interview, if they don't see another woman in leadership anywhere, they might not think that's a place for them where they could get promoted through the ranks. And so those kinds of things are, are what people are looking at when they're interviewing. They're seeing, they're looking around, uh, you know, is does it look like a place that everyone would be comfortable in? And and do they see people like them in high positions? Mm-hmm. Did they meet any? You know, meeting some of the executives can be a great thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about this oh, a couple months ago. I'd gone to a a big concert, and at the concert was this group of you know, seven middle aged guys and two women and. The women actually were just a little bit younger. Maybe not. Maybe the guys were all in their forties, and the women like in mid to late thirties. And the guys were all drinking. I thought drinking heavily, and the women looked mm-hmm. very uncomfortable. I thought, I wonder if that's <laughs> a sales meeting of some sort. Right. So Never I, know. So I I walked over because I was not too ah. far from them. And yeah, yeah, clearly. People come from multiple parts of the country, and it was one of the nightly entertainments. They bought tickets for them to all go to this conference. Wow. And yeah, the guys were sloppy drunk, yeah. and the women were clearly uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah, I just sort of thinking back to one of the conversations you and I had had about yeah, setting setting the culture and setting the tone in the in the sales team. Uh, yeah, somebody also wasn't paying attention to it. Uh, clearly, what good they thought leaders was, will. Good well, leaders what will they, do that. Right, and I thought the irony was clearly what the leader, sales leader, thought would be a good team building thing. So, hey, let's all go yeah. to the conference con- concert. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, it didn't look like it was a happy happy occasion for everybody. Yeah, they forgot the the part about don't get sloppy drunk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. As if you should have to tell people that these days, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's surprising. I you'd be surprised the stories I hear. Uh, no, probably not. But I mean, it's <laughs> no, because you've been in sales. So <laughs> yeah, well, I've been in for a long time, and and started back in a time where even fewer women in general. Though, you know, I, I think you and I shared this last time. Is when I got started, the sort of the cadre of of people that are hired right at the same time I was had what for the time seemed like a large number of women in it. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of people were just, I said, stone killers in sales. I mean, they were fabulous salespeople. Yeah. And, um, well, in 2017, we should expect a professional work environment. We should expect being paid the same. You know, we've talked before, I think about that, where I, I knew commissions were the same, but I never negotiated my salary. So, you know, it, it's a great, sales is such a great career for women 
from the standpoint of being paid what you're worth in terms of salary and bonus and commission, as long as you get a handle on what a fair salary is. Well, um, but, but the commissions and bonus is great. Sure. I mean, commissions can be the same, but one of the issues that is found and you know, some of the research that, that we referenced last time is that sort of subtle forms of discrimination by you know, account allocation or territory allocation yeah. that mm-hmm. you know, put people at a disadvantage. And, it, and surprisingly, it's, yeah, it works against women. It, it can work against a lot of people as well. And you'd, in that article we talked about before, you talked about the costs of bad sales management. You give the example of, of you know, a news, let's say not a news, but a salesperson maybe who was one of the early salespeople in the company has the big accounts and it's just sitting on them and not doing anything. Yeah. And, you know, the huge opportunity cost there for the, for the company. Yeah. It's amazing how many times I see that too, because we, we work with more traditional companies like manufacturing and distribution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not cutting edge with lots as much data necessarily, which I think you can maybe in Silicon Valley, you can see quicker, you know, what's going on <laughs> through the data. Um, but yeah, this is, it's just fascinating to me that once you unseat or move over that person who's, you know, taking up all the space with not selling, but kind of holding on to the accounts and not really working them. And it, you can just change the whole tone of a sales team. Um, it's it's just amazing and grow revenues big time. Well, and grow revenues, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, what's the irony of the situation is that you get this person that oftentimes is you know first salesperson, second, third salesperson in the door. They do a fabulous job of going out and capturing new accounts to help the company grow to a certain point. But then there's this transition where they yeah. morph from being new account people to being like account post. managers. Yeah, and. May they get a little complacent because yeah, milking those accounts and managing those accounts is fairly good money year after year, but they're not developing that account and they're not certainly not using the skills that they showed up front to go out and develop new accounts. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that, that happens out of that then is you see that and I see this oftentimes, and I just saw this again with a company recently, is is we have people like that, they tend also to capture some of the some of the new leads as well, because they're considered to be a high performer. Yeah. And so you've got people on your account and you brought onto your sales team that maybe don't have those big accounts. They're struggling a little bit, but because that person artificially at the top are artificially getting all the business, they're not getting the leads. So they're not getting the chance to go out and learn. Right. And they don't always work the accounts. That's what's they're handed things. And so how do you, how do you, advise companies to deal with that situation because this is as you said not not unusual at all i've yeah i've well, been brought into situations where i got hired as vp of sales at a company once that had that exact same situation and it it uh it was a little tricky working our way out of it yeah well the first thing i suggest is that they um evaluate their their sales team uh, the the reps the leaders the pipeline the tools process, and that can be done in a very scientific manner. And from that data, they can make some very educated decisions. So it's not based on gut feeling or um, what somebody said or what somebody thought. And and that's the way sales sales decisions should be made. Yeah, 
But there are things you have to do to, I mean, you definitely have a person in this role, you have to make a change. Yeah. Well, with that person, once, once we've evaluated him and we, we know what his strengths and shortcomings are or hers, um, you know, then we, we would tend to encourage the sales leadership to put some accountability in place, you know, Mm -hmm. just in terms of, um, activity and results and some coaching and typically someone that's been around a while doesn't like that because they don't want anybody to bother them. And so they self-select out uh, nine times out of ten. Yeah, and you shouldn't be worried about that type of person leaving the company because the whole fear but about... people do. It's well, like the, I know, the, fear of a the com- home run hitter on the, you know, who's bad in the locker room. Yeah. It's better to get rid of them. Yeah, I mean, thing is, the skill of hitting home runs is more transferable than the accounts that, that you're working I mean, right. in this day and age, especially in B2B sales, I mean, it, the accounts accounts don't go with people the way they yeah. used to. I mean, for one thing, it was different back in the day, perhaps when there was a single decision maker and right. you had a close relationship and you're taking them out to golf and dinner and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. how many companies make decisions that way anymore? Right. Now we have, it's gone from seven to eight decision yeah. makers. Yeah, on multiple stakeholders yeah. in a decision working with a large crowd, I mean, yeah, one may be a huge advocate for you, but they're not going to be sufficient enough to say if you call the guy Joe, I think you call everybody Joe in yeah. your articles, <laughs> is, uh, is Joe leaves the company, then, then yeah, you don't, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, someone actually asked me if I was talking about someone named Joe that we knew <laughs> mutually, and I said, no, I'm not, I made that name up. Right, it's your. Well, I said you've you use it more than one article I've seen. So, oh, <laughs> well, one one tactic I used in that environment where I had one client that uh, multiple clients, but the one in particular is they had a couple of people at the top that were sort of sharing and generating, you know, accounts that generated about eighty percent of the revenue, and it wasn't yeah. just one or two accounts; it was a range of accounts, and yeah. they weren't working the same way. So, what I I did is said. I first started working with them like in October or November of, of year a while ago. And I said, okay, well, here's one solution. At the first of the year is we made them, these two people, each give away 30% of their accounts. Yeah. And so they gave accounts. They're, they're bottom 30% for the most part, but they turned out to be productive accounts for other people because they hadn't been working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. That there's there's money to be had. You just need to look through those account lists and look at who's more probable to do business. And and you're right, move the wealth, share the wealth a little bit. Yeah, I mean, with another company, we did something where if somebody hadn't, they're working a big company and they hadn't added a name for somebody in a new division because they had a fairly identifiable group of divisions in this particular customer set that the guy was working with. If he wasn't adding new contacts in the division, the divisions became open territory. Yeah. So things you can do as a manager just to you know, get the data, as Lori said, but firm tactics you can take. And you know, if the people end up leaving, that they're feeling they're being you know, treated badly because you know, they're saying all the accounts is on, they just can't sit there dumb, fat, and happy, let them go. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really amazing to to see that transformation. I encourage people to think about it anyway. 
Yeah, Not and and do don't <laughs> don't necessarily wait for you know, end of the year. Da 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 da. It's, if you have the problem, address right. it, fix it, and. And be scientific about it. Take go from a data approach, not a not a an emotional response. Yeah, yeah. Take advantage of the tools that are out there. So, Lori, we're gonna finish up with some standard questions. I ask all my guests, and since you've actually been on the show multiple times, I had to come up with some new questions for you. <laughs> oh, great! So, I don't think I asked this one before, but we'll give it a shot. So, the first one was in your mind based on your experience, is it easier to teach a technical non-salesperson how to sell or teach a salesperson how to sell a technical product? Oh, I, I've done both, but I would go with the right person that has a sales background can get pick up the technical easier than vice versa. And why do you think that? Uh, I'm assuming that they're coachable and trainable. That, that we have someone that is optimistic, that has high sales DNA. If that's the case, we can give them enough background to be, you know, dangerous, to, to know enough to, to be technical. I never was a technical salesperson. Maybe that's my bias. Um, but I always could connect people. I, I could get the rapport built and bring in my technical expertise, or I could learn enough to sound knowledgeable to to add value to the buyer, That's like we have to do so so much now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I just I've seen a lot of technical people that have trouble with rapport and some real fundamental um, you know competencies that that I I tend to lean the other the other direction. Okay. All right. All right. So next question for you then is what one book that's not a sales book, not a business book, would you recommend that every salesperson read? Oh, boy. Every salesperson? Well, sure. We'll start with every. Um, there's a book about, um, I can't, I don't have the title handy. Let's see. Let me pick something else. I'll tell you what I'm reading right now. Mm-hmm. Um, t- Tools of the Titans by Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, yeah. Yeah. And what do, you, what do you like about that book? Um, you know, he talks about habits that successful people do. Mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss is, you know, very different from me. There's a lot of measurement week? and, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of over over the top uh, for me. But I, you know, there's there's truth in everything. And, and I find that, you know, this is an interesting book. Um, to learn about successful habits of other people. And, and I think any book like that, there's some old time books uh, about success that mm-hmm. I think are really good as well. Okay. So next question then, if you could change one thing about your business self, what would that be? My business self. Mm-hmm. I would like to be more of a marketer mindset because I think a lack of, I'm just so sales focused, the lack of the big picture marketing, mm-hmm. I think I think that that's what always moves me forward is when I pull marketing together well with, with you know, whatever I'm thinking about. I get so many ideas and um, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> I should have less <laughs> ideas. Um but yeah, just 
I'd love to be a really sophisticated marketer mind. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. Let's say, okay. Yeah, we're salespeople. All right, so last yeah. question for you. So do you have a favorite quotation or words of wisdom that you live by? Oh, man. It changes quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the one I always go back to is success leaves clues. Tony Robbins. Mm -hmm. Success you know, find, leaves clues. Like find it. successful people in the area that you want to be successful and do what they do. Yeah, I like that. Interesting. It's funny, though. I was, I, <laughs> I was reading something recently. Where was that? The, I'm trying to recall the source that basically was giving business advice that was like 180 degrees to that. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forging your own path and don't do what everybody else does and so on. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, that's another. That, that's definitely, you know, big new ideas don't happen just by doing what other people are doing. Exactly. But it is a great thing for salespeople in particular that come in and are going through their onboarding and they want to be successful sooner. You know, hang out with the more successful people and, and don't waste any time with the people who are not successful because you don't have time for them. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I've told this story before in the show is, man, my first sales job, I've found the guy that was doing the best and and yeah tried to take the elements from him that that I really identified with and I thought felt into fell into my alignment with my style and yeah it made all the difference yeah okay well Lori great talking to you as always and tell folks how they can find out more about you or connect with you they can find me at scoremoresales.com uh, at scoremore sales on Twitter or at women sales pros on Twitter and um, Google me. <laughs> Google Lori yeah. Richardson. That's L O R I in case they're listening right. to the show for the first time. Okay. Well, Lori, thank you again for being with me and uh, taking the time. And friends, thank you for spending the time with us today. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Easy way to do that, join these conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Lori Richardson, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. And if you enjoy Accelerate and the value we're delivering, then please take a quick minute right now, leave your feedback about this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Be very much appreciated. And thanks again for joining me. Till next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.